This is episode 47 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are, Have you prepped for the most likely SHTF event? Eight sustainable changes you can make that will have a positive impact on Earth, and why low-tech prepping is a better option for a long-term grid-down scenario. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started today. Our first article comes to us from the survivalistblog.net, uh, MD Creek Moore's uh, website over there. And again, the title is, Have You Prepped for the Most Likely SHTF Event? Here we go. I like to read a lot of self-reliant and prepping blogs and articles, as we all likely do. Toward the beginning of my self-reliant venture, these articles and blogs were critical in my education. I am in no way an expert in this field, but I am comfortable enough that a lot of this information for me now is review, and it is always good to review the basics. I love reading articles and blogs simply for the fact that there is usually more than one way to skin the proverbial cat, and I'm always looking for ways to improve my knowledge base or tweak existing techniques. This self-reliant community is often very willing to share their experiences, both positive and negative, so that others may learn from their successes as well as their failures. To say this community is rich in camaraderie would be an understatement, to say the least. I have never written for another blog other than my own, so this is a new venture for me. I hope I will be able to give something back to someone here and return the favor that you all have given me over the last several years. As I continue to read and search the self-reliant and prepper communities, I run across multiple hits regarding making fire, storing and gathering water, weapons and ammunition, just to name a few. It's not that these things aren't important. They should be the staple of anyone's self-reliant plan. However, there is one particular aspect that I rarely see mentioned, and yet it is likely one of the most commonly overlooked ways to prepare for bad times ahead. I'm not talking about having 10,000 rounds for each weapon you possess, or the most fail-safe knife ever, or two or three of them actually. Remember, two is one, and one is none. If we could all just take a step back and forget about all the stuff we have and all the stuff we think we still need and take an honest look at where we are, I think you may agree. Considering all of the possible adverse scenarios that can seriously impact our future, what seems the most likely? EMP? Absolutely, but for most of us, this may never happen. Solar flares are possible, but highly improbable. With a little investigation, you may feel, as I do, that a significant terror event in the U.S. could likely come from crippling our power structure as opposed to a dirty bomb. EMPs are not, the difficult, are not that difficult to make with the right resources and are a lot easier to conceal than a nuclear or biological weapon. Again, possible, but not probable. Natural disaster? Absolutely. As one of our coastal friends have already lived through, hurricanes, tornadoes, long power outages are facts of life for these folks. If I lived in these areas, you better believe this is a priority for me. Living in rural Pennsylvania, there is some minor threats of tornado or catching the tail of a hurricane, but very unlikely. Having said that, I'm in the kill zone for a little place called Three Mile Island. You may have heard of it. It made the news a a few years ago. Foreign invasion, zombies, another civil war. I guess these are possible, but not likely probable. It doesn't matter what adversity is handed to you. It is never good, nor is it convenient. The only defense we have is to be reasonably prepared for multiple scenarios, prioritizing them according to likelihood, and be willing to be flexible with our solution. 
What I want to talk about today is something that is far more likely to cause a devastating event in our lives, and if it hasn't already, it will. It's just a matter of time. I think it is interesting that what I'm about to discuss is rarely, if ever, talked about in the community, but when it happens, and if you are not prepared for it, it can significantly impact your life forever. Get to the chase, will you? I'm sure most of you are thinking that right about now, if you haven't mentally checked out already. What I'm alluding to here is financial hardships or disaster. What here hasn't who sorry, who here hasn't had some significant life event involving a, involving a financial hardship? Some of us may live with this every day. For some of us, this hardship is self-induced, and for others, it's just plain old bad luck. The thing to understand is that financial hardships come in all shapes and sizes and is almost always unforeseen. No matter how it happens, we need to be prepared. How many times in the last year have you checked your bug out bag, your food stores? How about your get home bag or weapons safe? My guess is we all check these things at least once or twice a year, if not more. When is the last time you checked your credit? Do you have an emergency fund? How much are you putting away for retirement? In case you were wondering, the answers to these questions should be yearly, yes, and 10%. It is likely that you will never have an issue with stolen identity. At least I hope you don't. I had my identity stolen almost 15 years ago after someone stole my wallet. It only took three hours for this misfit to charge almost $3,000 in my name to various brick-and-mortar stores, as well as opening several thousand dollars worth of credit to a big box store and a cell phone company. As soon as I realized my wallet was missing, I noticed the credit card company and I notified the credit card company and reported it. It was then that they started to review, quote-unquote, my most recent charges and my jaw dropped. After signing several affidavits, completing what seemed like a million forms, and running credit checks, I thought I had the mess cleared up, but I was mistaken. There were outstanding credit accounts that were a year behind, and I didn't even know about them until I checked my credit again almost a year later. In my stolen wallet was a credit card, my driver's license, some cash, and a few pictures. This is all this creeper of the night needed to open these bogus accounts. That was 15 years ago. It's easier now for thieves to take your identity and misuse it than ever. It doesn't matter if you don't have a credit card or carry a wallet and only pay with cash. I have a friend that had someone open a credit card in his name and had checks with his name and addresses mailed to his house. This thief knew when they were arriving and picked them up from his mailbox before he, he ever got home from work to check the box himself. There is too much data out there on you that is poorly protected. Are you a veteran? The VA had a laptop stolen several years ago and exposed 100,000 vets to ident identity theft because this laptop ha had access to date of birth, social security numbers, name, address, etc. Have you ever shopped at Target? There was a huge data breach there almost two years ago. Don't even get me started on Wells Fargo and their customer account reps opening bogus accounts simply to get the bonus credits. Have you ever been to the doctor or ER, filled a prescription? The list goes on and on. The bottom line is check your credit at least yearly. Anyone can get a free yearly credit report for annu from annualcreditreport.com. Do you have an emergency fund? A few years ago, my wife suddenly and unexpectedly got sick with a life-threatening illness and was unable to work for three years. Since losing her job, our family lost 40% of, of its annual income. Take a minute to do the math right now. How will you survive with 40% less money today than you had last month? Fortunately, we are believers in being good stewards of our money and we, are able to, we were able to ride the storm. 
We had over six months' worth expenses in the bank and lived a frugal lifestyle. At this point, it didn't matter that I can start a fire 13 different ways or had a bug-out bag for every person in the family. There are several key components to being financially prepared. One, having an emergency fund of six months saving in liquid form or cash ready to be used at a moment's notice is where we start. What this doesn't mean is having a few hundred ounces of silver in your safe in the basement. Silver is not liquid enough and selling silver when you have to opposed to when you want to will likely mean you are not getting its full value in transactions. Having three months liquid savings in cash and three months in precious metals is reasonable but still risky, especially these days. Have you seen the spot prices of gold over the last six months? The spot price of gold has been $1,130 to $1,350 during this time period. That's a 13% variance in just six months. Way too risky for an emergency fund. Cash is king here. We were able to comfortably utilize our emergency fund to offset our living expenses for a year, which gave me time to create additional paths of income to offset the loss. Living a frugal lifestyle, also known as number two, living below your means, is also major key, is a major key to financial survival. Having six months expenses in the bank goes a whole lot further if you are free from debt and can manage your daily expenses comfortably. Having frivolous debt, the credit cards, high-value auto loans, student loans, extravagant mortgage, will eat through an emergency fund quicker than you can possibly imagine. Emergency funds and living below your mean is the one-two punch that is absolutely crucial to survive any financial disaster. Thinking toward the future, we should all be, this is number three, investing 10% of our income for retirement. Emergency funds and living frugally will get us through hard times. Investments will get us through the rest of our lives. What's that you say? Have a pension plan so you don't need to save? I have an uncle that worked for many years and then the company went bankrupt. He lost almost everything he put into his investments. Pensions insurance paid pennies on the dollars, so it wasn't a complete loss, but an 85% loss of his pension was catastrophic. You, you work for the government, so your pension is safe? Tell that to the government workers in Detroit. Many of them may have only recouped a fraction of their losses and continue to struggle every day. This is not an isolated case. Many teacher unions, states, and government pension plans are top-heavy. They are not sustainable past 10 years. Don't even get me started on the government theft program called Social Security. Starting at age 25, saving $200 a month will accrue $790,000 at retirement based on an 8% return rate. The average rate of return of the stock market is about 10.5% over the last 100 years, so your $790,000 will likely be worth even more when you hit the golden years. As you, as you get older and can afford more savings, your end-of-life pre preparedness only gets better. Here's the icing on the cake. Placing that $200 a month into a Roth IRA means that every penny of that money after the age of 59 and a half is yours to keep tax-free. Want to take all 790000 out at once when you're at 60? By all means, go ahead. Not one penny will go back to the government. There are many other advantages of the Roth IRA, and I highly suggest looking into these. By the way, maximizing the 5500 a year contribution cap to a Roth IRA for the same time frame above will leave you with almost $2 million at retirement, conservatively speaking. So there you have it, a financial plan for your preparedness basket. The next time you find yourself forking over $50 for that cool new prep, think about your financial prep. Is it up to par? 
The likelihood of an EMP, government collapse, or zombie attack is slim to none, admittingly not beyond reason, however, that's why we prep for multiple scenarios. Yet we prepare for these two extremes. Take some time to prioritize your preparedness scenarios and be honest with yourself. Financial, financial jeopardy should be in the top tier of probabilities. Good article. Something to definitely think about. I know a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck and a lot of people are always, uh, you get the question from time to time, how can, I, how, can, how can I prep? I'm on a very limited budget. And I would always, I would always recommend you being debt free, getting out of, getting out of debt as much as possible. Um, I definitely would say that you need to have basic preps. You need to have food. You need to have water. You know, those kinds of things. But definitely financial uh, preparation. You know, it's actually one of the, it's the last lesson in my e-course. So when you sign up for the email list, you automatically get enrolled in this e-course and you get uh, an email every week uh, handling one of, you know, a situation. So it's like food or water, uh, cooking, sanitation, and the last one is finances. And uh, talk a lot about, about this aspect of it because financial preparedness is, is very important. When you are debt-free and you have, uh, you, you have that kind of squared away, you have a lot of options. And uh, I like, uh, we're going to get to uh, touch on some other things a little bit later on that kind of touch base on that as well. Um, but uh, interesting article and definitely go check out. There's a lot of links on this article that you'll want to go and uh, see. And then there's always a lot of comments over at uh, survivalistblog.net. You can go uh, read those. All right, so let's go ahead and move on. Our next article comes to us from readynutrition.com. The article is an Earth Day article. It's titled, Eight Sustainable Changes You Can Make That Will Have a Positive Impact on Earth. Now, I'm not a very big fan of Earth Day. Um, you know, it was uh, on my Twitter, on Earth Day, which was just recently, um, on my Twitter feed, somebody, one of the news organizations that I follow, retweeted somebody, and uh, they said, I'm looking forward to this, uh, they were being sarcastic about this Earth Day. This is a picture from the National Mall of uh, last year's Earth Day, and there was just trash all over the place. I mean, it was just trashed, right? So it's very ironic that a day where you're coming together to celebrate Earth Day, that all this trash is created and, and just thrown all over the place, and they just you know messed up the messed up the the National Mall. So I'm not a very big fan of Earth Day, but there's things in here that I think are important that, uh, that I am a fan of being a good steward of your resources and, and being a good steward of the earth. And that just comes from a biblical, my biblical perspective, right? And God has given us uh, this earth and, and we should take care of it as much as possible, do what we can. And a lot of these things that uh, that Tess is talking about here in uh, her article just makes sense. So it's not I'm not looking at this as an Earth Day article. I'm looking at this as just a self-reliant preparedness, being a good steward article that uh, things that we might need to know or uh, that we can be reminded of. So let's go ahead and start reading uh, this article again from ReadyNutrition.com. It's a cold hard fact that Earth's once plentiful resources are drying up. Climate change, food and water shortages, pollution, deforestation, agriculture changes are all being caused by the wasteful nature of humans. These impacts have directly altered the Earth's surface faster than the natural process. We are at a tipping point. 
One small act can have a far-reaching impact, and it all starts with a single step. Here are some interesting facts to put things into perspective. An average of 230 million tons of trash that is thrown away each year in the United States, and many do not realize that the trash they are throwing away can be reused. Commercial food sources have become corrupted with genetically modified foods, hormones, antibiotics, pesticides, and neurotoxins. On average, one household uses 350 gallons of water. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's a day or uh, a, a week, um, but it doesn't say there. Continuing on, running tap water for two minutes is equal to three to five gallons of water. America uses about 15 times more energy per person than the typical developing country. Just thinking now that 350 gallons of water, that's got to be a week. Um, okay, so continuing on. Uh, in the United States, more than 40% of municipal solid waste is paper, about 71.8 tons a year. Some 4 to 5 trillion plastic bags, including large trash bags, thick shopping bags, and thin grocery bags, were produced globally in 2002. Roughly 80% of those bags were used in North America and Western Europe. Every year, Americans reportedly throw away 100 billion plastic grocery bags. And that's sourced from World Watch Institute. The way we live directly impacts our environment. And let's be honest, humans are very wasteful in regards to using up precious resources. We must begin doing our part to prolong the negative effects we have on this, on this planet. Earth Day is the perfect time to reflect upon what we can do to live more in tune in our planet. In the past, we have suggested ways to make more earth-friendly choices such as recycling, not using chemical cleansers, and repurposing items, but it's time to take another step forward and begin to live in a more sustainable nature. Eight sustainable changes you can make that will have a positive impact on earth. And again, I'm looking at these, these uh, impacts, uh, or I'm looking at these things here just as good, good practices, good um, things to, to live a self-reliant life practices that you can to live a self-reliant life and just to be a good steward of your of the resources that we have first one is this buy local farmers markets are a great way to buy locally and teach your family about sustainability it is estimated that the average american meal travels about 1500 miles to get from farm to plate our dependency on faraway food sources leaves a region vulnerable to supply disruptions and removes any real accountability of producers to consumer as well, nutritional value can quickly decline as time passes after harvest. Finding local food sources can circumvent this impending issue, and because locally grown produce is, is freshest, it is mo more nutritionally complete. As well, join an organic food co-op to get more good food for less. It's a great way to start to dip your toes into the self-sovereign movement that is sweeping the U.S. Number two, cut the crap out of your diet. GMO and chemically enhanced food is no way to keep your family healthy. This is a big change to make, but will enhance your health in the long run. The easiest way to cut out food that are full of hormones, antibiotics, or consider GMO is to buy organic. A study recently noted that eating organic food is more healthy than conventional foods. Found that organics contain 18 to 69 percent higher concentrations of antioxidants. This means that an organic consumer will ingest the antioxidant equivalent of approximately two extra produce portions every day without altering food intake. 
In your new diet, you should also still steer clear of artificially colored or flavored foods, non-organic milk, and meat sources, as well as corn and soy are almost always GMO. Foods containing neurotoxins like MSG, fluoride, or aspartame, along with other artificial sweeteners, should be avoided. By switching to organic and natural foods, you are letting all the commercial food sources out there that you object to to chemicals being put in your food. Think of it as a silent protest, and when they can't get you to buy their product, they'll take notice and make necessary changes. Support the bees. Our basic way of life is largely dependent on those little buzzing bees busily collecting food. Bees have been in sharp decline in North America and in parts of Europe over the last several years. Many believe multiple factors are to blame for colony collapse, a few being chemical-based fertilizers, climate change, and evasive parasites that attack the hive. This is causing massive amounts of damage to insect-dependent agriculture. As a result, food shortages are on the rise and many experts are quickly trying to find ways to help the bees. Another way to support thriving bees is to follow in the footsteps of Oslo and help create a bee highway or feeding station in urban areas to help feed the bees. The idea is to create a route through the city with enough feeding stations for the bumblebees all the way. Tanjay Wakatar Kamst of the Oslo Oslo Garden Society told local paper Oslobee, enough food will also help the bumblebees withstand man-made environmental stress better. Number four, start a garden. America was founded upon an aggregating lifestyle and farmers were the driving force behind America. Currently, people are trying to find ways to move back to farming in order to grow their own food to be more self-sufficient and less dependent on the government. In fact, by growing your own food, you cut down on trips to the grocery, thus cutting down on gasoline, carbon emissions, and save some money in the process. As well, a lot of attention on yard farming in suburbia has started becoming very popular in many parts of the United States. Yard farmers convert unsustainable suburban developments, urban food deserts, or other neglected land in sustainable, more resilient opportunities for people while building community. How great would it be if the yard farming movement popped up in your neck of the woods? If you can't wait for the yard farm, start a community garden. Community gardens encourage an urban community food security, allowing people to grow their own food. They bring urban gardens closer in touch with the source of their food and break down social isolation by encouraging community interaction. Hey, just a, a quick side note. Uh, I always thought that if I, um, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church and we rent our location, but I always thought that if I had a location that had a big, um, a big grassy area, like the church that I grew up at, that I would want to turn that into community gardens. And uh, I would just you know put it out there and, and, and make it a point of outreach, right, where you can uh, allow people to come in and you can, you know, lease them or, or give them a plot. And then you would always have people out there and just, you know, being kind to them, church people being kind to them and inviting them to church, right? It'd be a ministry opportunity. Not that you would be in their face all the time. But I have a friend who is a, uh, she, she does gardening for schools and uh, she goes to a church that has a community garden, and they can't they can't get people to uh, to take the garden plots. So that's kind of crazy thinking about that. And I know my father in law, um, he lived closer to uh, downtown Houston. Uh, they had a community garden, and it was always busy. So it just kind of just I guess it kind of just depends on the area and where you're at. 
But, uh, you know, I am totally off for using all uh, available land, you know, that you have, or at least not not just for gardening or whatever, but I'm saying is I hate the aspect of, of uh, wasting so much money and resources on front yards and stuff. And I mean, I live in suburbia. My neighbor's yards are all beautiful, right? I mean, but they water it and they're throwing down all kinds of stuff. And, and so I just, it, it's just kind of, um, it just kind of bothers me that so much resource and water goes into uh, watering, you know, goes into the grass out there in the front yard when it could be used for so much, something so much better. But anyway, can, let's continue on. Uh, sustainable landscaping. 60% of a person's household water usage goes towards lawn and garden maintenance. During times of drought, our lawn and landscaping can become a bottomless pit where we are throwing away money to keep grass alive. Rather than spending exorbitant exorbitant amounts of money to maintain landscaping think outside of the box and choose a more sustainable form of landscaping as well consider growing native plants in your area this will cut down on water usage and encourage native wildlife insects etc to hang out in your garden only use organic fertilizers when gardening despite what some corporations want you to believe chemicals are not good for plants the application of glyphosate around the world has increased 15-fold since these Roundup Ready crops were first introduced in the 1990s. Roundup Ready crops have created a problem in agriculture that is similar to the problems caused by antibiotics, whose overuse has bred highly resistant strains of superbugs. The overuse of glyphosate has bred superweeds, which are resistant to the pesticides, and the more resistant they become, the more pesticides that farmers have to apply. It's an endless cycle that farmers have no idea how to break out of. Composting organic material for the soil is a healthier alternative. When composting, you are utilizing aerobic and anaerobic decomposition processes to break down the compostable material and invite beneficial organisms to assist in the process. The end result is a full-spectrum soil conditioner that has many benefits. Compost contains macro and micronutrients often absent in synthetic fertilizers. Compost releases nutrients slowly over months or years, unlike synthetic fertilizers. Compost enriched soil retains fertilizers better. Less fertilizer runs off to pollute waterways. Compost buffers the soil, neutralizing both acid and alkaline soils, bringing pH levels to the optimum range for nutrients availability to plants. A compost tea can also be used as a foiler spray on the plant or poured into the soil. Some natural fertilizers can be found in your garbage and can be composted and turned into natural garden amendments. Banana peels, eggshells, coffee grounds are great for the garden. You can feed the soil with some of these soil amenders as well. Earthworm castings, phosphate, powdered oyster shells, and green sand. Number seven is water conservation. Did you know that if a household started conserving water, you can reduce your in-home water use by 35%. This means the average household, which uses 130,000 gallons per year, could save 44,000 gallons of water per year. Learning ways to practice the art of conserving water now will help you make the most of your water sources. Here are 20 way, 22 ways to start. Use less packaging. We are all guilty of using Ziploc bags and throwing them away after each use. It's so wasteful. Luckily, there's a lot of alternatives available to us. Some favorites are these paper sandwich baggies or this reusable Velcro sandwich bag. Both will reduce that dreaded carbon footprint. As well, purchasing reusable lunch containers like these eco-friendly stainless steel containers are great alternatives to plastic. There are some, 
there are some foods like potatoes and oranges that come in their own mesh packaging and knowing how to reuse packaging can simplify your life. In addition, purchase grocery bags that can be reused. This will cut down on having an excess of plastic bags. Some of the trash we collect can serve other purposes and changing your mindset is also an essential sustainability skill. Learning the art of using what you have around you to live is the core of being self-reliant and what many of us and what many of us are trying to achieve. Here are 50 of the most common items thrown away in ways you can reuse them. Creativity and resourcefulness can go a long way if we need to rely on what we have around us. Whether you want to believe it or not, our current way of living is not sustainable. We overconsume or wasteful and there is a better more sustainable way of life. We can't keep going on like this and if each of us were to make some minor changes to how we live, the earth would already be a better place to live. Let's make earth a better place. So anyway, again, not really focused on the earth uh, day part of it, but uh, good points to make just on being a good steward. You know, I always remember, uh, I know y'all are probably, the listeners are probably familiar with uh, the movie, The Book of Eli. There's um, a part of the movie when he is in the bedroom and then uh, the girl, I can't remember the name of the actress, comes in and she's talking to him. And, and she, I guess, grew up after the whole breakdown and everything, the whole collapse. And he was talking with her and he, he says a line that I, I've never forgotten. He said, we threw away things that we fight over now. You know, we, we fight people over, we kill people over now. And uh, I mean, how, you know, how, uh, how real is that? How, how real would that be, right? We just throw away so many things. Uh, I, I try to live this way. I try to do a good job of recycling and reusing myself. Just recently I wrote an article on... Uh, the title of it was Being Resourceful When Necessary, A Self-Reliant Value to Live By, Repurposing Old Hangers. And um, I use old hangers, uh, wire hangers, and I've cut them down and used them. Or in this article, I used them as landscaping uh, staples uh, to hold down the weed blocker around my pool, the mulch. I already had someone like comment and say, uh, why would you want you know powdered what?" Uh, coated hangers to leach into your soil and, and into your garden and, and these aren't my garden beds they're around my uh, my pool and um, weeds grow up very very badly around there so we, um, this is a place where we had the chickens and so uh, we, when we got rid of the chicken coop I put down some more weed blocker but uh, the staples that you buy at Home Depot and stuff don't work really well they just pop right up when you walk on them and so these hangers work really really well and so um, that's just one I mean one way that I try to think about a way to use reuse something that I had and and to, to be positive but even trying to fix things I mean how easy is it to uh, you know my my grandfather owned an electronic distributorship uh, back in the day and basically he sold parts to TV repairman TV and VCR repairman and uh, you know, it got it finally got to a point where people weren't repairing their TVs anymore. It was it's cheaper nowadays. It's cheaper to go throw your TV away and go buy a new one. I mean, that's what kind of society we've we've become, and so uh, that that kind of that business just kind of went all downhill. Luckily, the family sold that business before it uh, um, before it all crapped out. 
but uh, that um, you know again that kind of shows uh, what kind of society we're in we we just we throw it's so easy to throw it away it's so less expensive to throw it away than it is to fix it but um, you know f- there's something to say for taking the time to try to fix things and, and work through them or find another use for them all right so enough with that I can talk about that all all night long so let's go ahead and go on to our next article from the organic prepper uh, this is our last article of the podcast. It's entitled, Why Low-Tech Prepping is a Better Option for Long-Term Grid-Down Scenario. So I know that first article that we talked about was, you know, the EMP or the grid-down is a probable, uh, uh, possible, pro- you know, it is, it is possible, is it probable? And um, I know that th- that article was looking more at the, um, you know, at the financial prep uh, being prepared but uh, Daisy makes a lot of good points here and with things how things are in right now in the world and how um how our infrastructure is uh kind of weak and really you, you really think about it there hasn't been a lot of money put into our infrastructure and even to electrical lines uh last year we had a, an electrical and I don't know what the the reason for it was but we had, and I wrote another article on based on that and my experiences on that. But a substation, an electrical substation, uh, burn up, and um, man, it, it it took out a lot of homes over here. And so it, they gave us, you know, to the next morning for it to, to to come back online. And they as they rerouted lines and stuff like that. But you can imagine what that would do. I don't think I don't think a lot of people realize uh, what it would do. Um, to not have the grid up and how that would change life. Um, I, there was that one um, National Geographic's, and I'm sorry, uh, was it Discovery Channel? Maybe it was Nat Geo came out with it. Uh, I think it was maybe it was this thing. Yeah, it was just, it was Nat Geo came out with that uh, American Blackout, and I was able to do. Uh, I got a preview copy of that and got to got to watch it, and I, it, I thought it was done really really well. Um, so I actually had my kids sit down and watch it, and they're like, "Oh, come on, do we need to watch it?" But they were interested in it once they saw what was going on. My my oldest son was on Twitter, and he saw how fast people were, you know, they were tweeting about it, and it was just kind of blowing up uh, about you know what people were saying about a grid goes down. And in that scenario, American blackout, it only goes down for ten days, uh, and you know that's. Um, what could possibly happen if uh, if it went down for a lot longer than that? I'm gonna try to find. I think I did an article where uh, I found that video. I'm gonna try to add that into uh, the show notes for episode 47 as well. So let's go ahead and get into this article. Okay, so why low tech prepping is a better option for a long term grid down scenario. With power outages crippling cities across the nation, the potential for a nasty solar flare and geopolitical tensions it might be time to revisit your long-term power outage plan. This article from the archives explains why I won't be investing in pricey generators or expensive equipment. Low-tech prepping is much more affordable and sustainable for those of us without extravagant budgets. The big blackout why I'm going low-tech to prep for an EMP. This might be stating the obvious, but in the event of an EMP, things will not be the same no matter how great your generator is. Aaron Dykes of Truthstream Media wrote an excellent article about the extreme likelihood of a catastrophic event that could take out our power grid. Billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Singer, uh, this is a quote, sorry, 
Uh, billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Singer is warning investors and more broadly lawmakers and leaders about the potential destructive power of an electromagnetic pulse or EMP which could be triggered by solar events or artificially via blast in the atmosphere. According to Singer, research shows that no other incident, including a nuclear bomb, has the potential for such wide-scale devastation, coupled with the relative likelihood of occurring. While a nuke would primarily impact on the location of a such in such city, an EMP could occur globally or across large-scale regions, wrecking havoc on the entire electric grid and devices. Government agencies such as NASA and Homeland Security have taken some preliminary steps towards preparing for an EMP attack, regardless of the potential for natural or man-made causes, but the public at large remains crippling unaware of the dangers present to modern life and its reliance on all things electronic, digital, and thus transient. Check out the rest of this must-read article here. We've all read many articles about the likelihood of grid failure. We've been warned again and again that it isn't a matter of if, but when it happens. Because of this, a lot of people are preparing for a very different future. Folks are getting ready for the big blackout. The thing is, I am not sure everyone is thinking this through. Many people are spending buckets of money on preparations to try to keep their lives as similar as possible to how they are today. They're investing in diesel generators and Faraday cages to protect their electronics. They're buying propane-fueled appliances. They're stashing away fuel to run these gadgets. The problem with that method of preparation is the fuel-generated lifestyle will only last for as long as you have well, fuel. Very few of us have enough storage space or the proper facilities to store five years worth of fuel. If the power grid goes down in a catastrophic way, it's going to take at least five years to get things up and running again, and that's assuming things ever get up and running again in the way they are now. That means that people are spending thousands of dollars investing in items that will only sustain their lifestyle for a brief period of time. Generators are not a long-term solution unless you have renewable power. More on that later. While a generator would be a blessing in a short-term emergency, think a week-long power outage due to a storm, for a permanent way of life, they are completely impractical. Furthermore, in an event of an EMP strike, if your generator is not protected, it may not work no matter how much fuel you have stored. Maybe the fact that I'm not, I'm not rolling in money is the reason I feel this way. Maybe people with lots of money to spare have ideas about how to keep their generators running forever. But for my personal situation, this is a preparation strategy that is completely impractical. If money is an object in your preparedness endeavors, and let's face it, money is an object for most of us these days, then focus your dollars on preps that are sustainable without electrical power. Instead of trying to live the exact same life you are living right now, only fueled by an individual generator, look for low-tech solutions instead. This reminds me of people who stop eating gluten but still want to eat exactly like they have been eating their entire lives, only now with expensive gluten-free baked goods that cost four times the price of their wheat-filled counterparts. When things change dramatically, accept the change and adapt to it, instead of trying to maintain the illusion that everything is the same. Whether you can get power from an outlet in the wall or not, the necessities of day-to-day -day life will remain the same. Water, shelter and warmth, food, sanitation and hygiene, and light. The ultimate preparedness goal should be to provide those necessities without any help from the power grid, generators, or fossil fuel. Learn more about planning for a long-term disaster. There's a link there. Uh, when my youngest daughter and I lived in the north woods of Canada, we lost power frequently throughout the year. 
Lots of folks in the area had generators that they would fire up when the power went out, and that was a viable solution since gas stations were available and fuel was pretty much unlimited as long as you could afford to get to it. We were on a tight budget, however, and we adapted our situation to live without power during those outages. After the first couple of outages, we had worked out most of the bugs and we even began to look forward to our time without power. It was, it was like a little vacation from the regular workday. As plugged in as our society is, power is not actually a necessity. It's a luxury, and we can live without it as long as we are adaptable, creative, willing, and prepared. Let's look at some specific examples of low-tech ways to take care of our necessities. These ideas are just food for thought based on my own preparedness plan. They may not be the solution that will work best for you, but the goal here is to brainstorm your own situation and figure out how to live your life low-tech if the need occurs. Off-grid water. If you haven't located water sources near your home, it's time to break out a topographical map of your area and find them. A low-tech water plan might include some or all of the following. A manual pump for your well. Buckets and wheelbarrows for hauling water from a nearby source. Rain barrels for water harvesting. This is an inexpensive option with mixed reviews. Again, there's some links here that she's linking. There's a lot of links actually in this article you're going to want to check out. A gravity-fed water filtration system. We have this one. A water dispenser for convenient access to filtered water. Be sure to get one with the bottle on top so that it can be operated without electricity and not one that uses an electric pump to pull the water up from the bottom. Storage units for water, such as cisterns or tanks. Portable water filter bottles for safe water when you are away from home. We have this one. Off-grid shelter and warmth. Homes these days aren't built to function without a connection to the power grid. If you aren't fortunate enough to live in an older home that was designed for off-grid living, look at some ways to take your home back a century or so. A secondary heating system is vital in most climates. An antique oil heater can use lots of different oils and requires little effort for installation. This site is loaded with information about perfection oil heaters. Have a wood stove installed. Clean your chimney and get your fireplace working. Set up an outdoor fireplace with large rocks to bring inside for radiant heat. This won't get you super warm, but it's better than nothing. Have a good supply of blankets, warm clothes, and cold rated sleeping bags. Learn techniques to stay warm with less heat. Off-grid food. Not only do you need access to food, but you also need a way to cook it and a way to keep your refrigerated, keep yours refrigerated and frozen items from spoiling. Grow a garden and save your seed. Have a greenhouse or extend your growing season with cold frames and hoop houses. Have a well-stocked pantry. Have supplies for off-grid canning, jars, lids, outdoor burners, and learn how to can without a kitchen. Learn ways to get by without refrigeration. Outdoor cooking methods. This stove can be used with three different types of fuel. If you're anything like me, have a French press for off-grid coffee. And make a solar cooker. Learn how here. Off-grid sanitation and hygiene. How will you keep clean and deal with human waste in the event of a long-term emergency? If you're on a septic system, store water for flushing and have a collection system to save your used water in the future. If you're not on a septic system, devise a plan and get supplies for an outhouse or a cat hole. Learn how to do your laundry off-grid. I use a janitor's bucket like this for wringing out clothes, and that's what I was talking about yesterday. Um, that's funny that this came up. Get the best quality you can afford. The cheap plastic ones will break when, uh, when you use them for laundry. Uh, learn how to make your own cleaning products. Off-grid lighting. 
The world is a scary place when it's dark, and most of us have forgotten how dark, how true dark really is due to light pollution and the proximity of neighbors. Here are some lighting solutions for an off-grid world. Solar garden lights, store them outside to be charged during the day and bring them in and put them in vases where they're needed at night. Oil lamps, you can recycle used cooking oil or use rendered fat to power these. They give a brighter light and can be used for reading and close work. Learn more here. Candles, stock them and learn to make them. And solar-powered flashlights. Renewable power is practical power. One exception to my no-generation rule is renewable power. If you can afford a solar setup for your home, then very little would change about your day-to-day life, aside from you being one of the few people without power. You don't have to go totally solar to have power for a few important items. Assuming you have electronics in working order, they can be powered with solar, wind, or water. Most of us can't afford an entire setup, but these are some options to consider. Build a DIY portable solar recharging station. Learn how to make it here. Solar-powered system for specific items. Learn more here. Use wind power. Learn more here. And use water power. Learn more here. What will you do when the electrical power goes out? Do you have a plan in place for a long-term or permanent power outage? Are you planning to use generators and maintain your current lifestyle? Or are you planning to go low-tech? Share your opinions and some of your cost-effective ideas in the comments. So uh, there are comments there that you want to go and uh, a couple of comments there you want to go take a look at. But there's a lot of articles, uh, or I'm sorry, there's a lot of links in this article that you'll want to check out uh, over here at The Organic Prepper. All right, that's it for episode 47. Uh, thanks so much for for listening. It, hey, if you haven't made it over, if you're coming to this podcast from iTunes and Stitcher or one of the other podcast networks and you haven't visited PrepperWebsite.com, I'd like to invite you over there. There's a lot more preparedness information there. We have other destinations over on the right-hand corner. You can get to uh, pages that are dedicated to frugal living, DIY, alternative news. Actually, that alternative news page is uh, the second most popular page uh, on all of Prepper website uh, other than the front page that has all the links on there. But, uh, you know, hey, I welcome you to come check that out. And uh, we have tons of articles. We we post, uh, you know, 8 to 12 new articles every single every single night. So uh, definitely come out and check it out. Uh, we've got something for you. All right. So, hey, choose to live a, a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.